Okay, so here's a question I want to start out with today. How many of you have heard a sermon, at least one, on the time that Abraham took Isaac up the mountain to be sacrificed? Anybody, anybody not heard a sermon on that? Well, that's a little bit intimidating that this is an often preached um, text or story or account. I don't know if I want to use the word story. Sometimes folks think that means fiction, and I don't mean that by the word story. But uh, that's what we're studying today um, is the offering of Isaac. And the actual account of the offering of Isaac doesn't even take a chapter. If I could think back as I was preparing sermons and things that I've heard about the interaction between Abraham and Isaac and all kinds of stuff, that some of it was very good and very true. It's a little intimidating to go, how am I going to get that full content there? But as you look at the text, what I discovered was equally surprising to me how much is just not said. There's a lot of things about this event that um, would be easy to look at and think about that just makes you wonder. Well, wonder what that was like and wonder what really happened there. So let's, let's get our context back. We talked about the birth of Isaac last week. Abraham was 100, Sarah was 90, and about three years or so later, most believe now, in reality, it may have been much more than that, but that would be the, the typical. Isaac was weaned. There's a big celebration. Sarah sees Ishmael, who, if this is three years after Isaac's birth, would be 16 to 17 years old. He's taunting Isaac, and she says, hey, to Abraham, this has got to stop. Send Ishmael and Hagar away. Abraham's troubled by that. It's not something he's excited about doing, doesn't want to do. But God directs him to heed Sarah's thoughts on this, so he does. He gets up early the next morning. That's beginning to be a pattern uh, with Abraham. He gets up early in the morning to do things that he needs to do. But Hagar and Ishmael are given food and water, and they take off and wander in the desert until Hagar gives up and sets sets Ishmael down to die, and she walks off a ways and prepares to die herself. They're out of water, and it's... Not going to, they're not going, she doesn't plan on surviving. Now, God visits them in their despair, promises that a great nation will come from Ishmael. Uh, Hagar, as she comes out of this interaction with God, her eyes are open, she sees a well, and so she goes uh, and gives water to Ishmael, and from there on they prosper. Now, a little bit later on in that chapter, Abimelech comes to Abraham, who is still in Gerar. Uh, down toward the direction of the Negev and asked to make a covenant of peace. And so in that time they settled a dispute about a well and it says Abraham stayed in the area many days. So it means that Abraham spends a fair amount of time down in the southern area on the very southern end of what would become Israel, maybe even (coughs) south of actual Israel in its most common borders. And so with that in mind, let's go over to Genesis chapter 22. I want, to, I want us to read the whole chapter. And uh, if you are the one that starts reading, doesn't mean you have to finish. But I'd like to see if we can get at least one volunteer to get us going and we can trade it around as need be. So Genesis chapter 22. 
one too, you said? I think so. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to, went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I... I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took his hand, the fire, and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, son, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, and where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for, my, for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the, Lord of, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do you not do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him? For now I know you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold. Behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milka Milka also has borne children to your brother Nahor, whose his firstborn, Buzz his brother, Kemal, Kemal the father of Abraham, Aram, Chesed, Hazel, Philadash, Jidlap, and Bethuel, Bethuel, father 
fathered Rebekah. These eight Micah bore to Nahor's Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Remula, bore Teba, Graham, Gam, Tash, and Mecca. Okay, thank you. And thank you for enduring the surprise names at the end. Uh, that just goes with, with reading in the Old Testament, I guess. So <clears throat> let's go back and take a look at this, just going through like we do, normally do verse by verse. We're going to draw some parallels and finish out with that little bit about Abraham's extended family there. But verse 1 starts out with, now it came about after these things. So these things are the events that we saw in 21. We covered those at the beginning. And so we know that at the end of this time, Abraham is living down in Gerar. And he spent some time there. And so in verse 2, or still in verse 1, he said, uh, God tested Abraham, saying to him, Abraham, and Abraham, of course, replied, here I am. So God is testing Abraham, and that might be something we might hesitate to want in our own lives. Do I want to be tested? Do I want to be challenged by God himself? Well, if we go over and read in James, it says, Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Uh, we also believe in the sovereignty of God, right? So think of the events that you've had in life come your way. Now this is obviously a very intentional test on God's part, but you've been tested. Life tests us. And God is sovereign, so we even hear in Romans 10, 13... No temptation comes upon us, but what's just common to man and God is faithful won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that we might endure it. So if we believe in the sovereignty of God and we take the verses that make it clear that there's value in being tested, which they're all over the New Testament, probably the Old Testament too, I just don't know it as well, uh, then we would say, yeah, we're all tested by God. And so this isn't an unusual thing, but this is a little unique for Abraham. It rarely gets called out that there's a testing going on unless you want to really think about the book of Job. Wasn't that quite a testing? But here's God testing Abraham. And so Abraham said, here I am. And in verse 2 he says, now take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Um, that's not going to be an easy test, is it? God himself declares, this is the son you love. How many sons does he have right now? Two. One, he sent off into the desert and really parted company with him, right? And God has said, no, here's the promise, it's Isaac. And so now I can only imagine the heart feelings that Abraham would have at this moment of, what are you doing? I, I tried to hold Ishmael up to you, God, and you said no. And you even said, follow Sarah's direction and send him away. And now you yourself are directing me to take the other son and sacrifice him. But none of that is voiced here. We just need to realize as we read through this, 
while we can think about all the emotions and everything that's going on, it just isn't voiced here, and it may be different than what we might think. Um, but this had to be a tough test. And we see, uh, by the way, let's talk about he was to head to the land, to the land of Moriah, right? The land of Moriah, and Ephraim, there's a burnt offering. So <clears throat> where is Abraham going? Where, where is this event going to take place? Um, I want to start here. I, start, I plan on ending up here, but let's go over to Second Chronicles 3, 1. This is the other time Moriah, only other time that I found, is mentioned in the Old Testament. Second Chronicles 3, 1. Okay, so David set about to build the temple. And God is going to intervene and say, no, 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 not you. Your life as a leader in Israel, you got a lot of blood on your hands. And so you're not going to build the temple, but your son Solomon will. But David had acquired this threshing floor and he paid for it with his own money. He wanted it to be something that he contributed and did for God who had been so faithful to him. And where was it? It was on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. And so um, this area of Moriah is at least in the area of the temple. Um, and Solomon's temple then is going to be built there. And of course the temple that Herod builds will be an expansion of Solomon's temple. Now, the, we've got a couple of traditional views going here, and I just think it's interesting to note them. One of them is the Jewish tradition, and the Jewish tradition would say that this place where Isaac was going to be offered was the Temple Mount, right? Exactly where the temple was built. We don't really know that for sure here. God says, I'm going to send you to a hill in this area. If you go over and look at Islam, because Islam also believes correctly that Abraham is their patriarch. And uh, as seen through Ishmael, and of course they think it's at Mecca, <laughs> is where they go off to find Mount Moriah. But in 2 Chronicles 3.1, I think it really clears up. It's in the area of Jerusalem. And so in verse 2, he packs up the stuff to go early in the morning. He splits the wood to make the sacrifice, saddles the donkey. He takes two young men along, and away they go to the place in verse 2, it says, that God had told him. Uh, verse 3, I'm sorry, that God had told him. And so here they are on the journey. Now on the third day, they saw from a distance... As Abraham raised his eyes up, uh, the place where God was sending him to go. And so it was about a three-day journey, and that fits pretty well. If you start down in the area, uh, down toward the Negev, 
they're somewhere around 45 plus or minus miles from where Jerusalem is. Um, the folks I read said you can generally travel about 20 miles a day if you get with it. And so after a couple days they would be within five miles. So on the third day as they're traveling they're going to see that, that mountain off in the distance that they're headed for. And so he saw the place. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. So clearly this would be expected. Hey, we're going over to worship. God sent us away to worship. Obviously God has not revealed, God, Abraham has not revealed the events that he's expecting to have happen to either Isaac or the two young men traveling with him. Uh, baby boys traveling with them and so they they leave the donkey and the boys and whatever other stuff they had brought there and they take the items for the sacrifice in verse 5 um, and they head off toward the mount so Isaac's along and Abraham puts the wood he he winds up carrying the wood and Abraham takes knife and fire and so off they walk together some distance away over to this time of sacrifice. Now here's a good question because we're all making in our mind's eye some image of Abraham and Isaac walking up toward this, this higher place, this mountain, mount, whatever you want to call it. How old is Isaac? What's that? We, we really don't know, but we do have some limits we can put on it. We're past the age that he was weaned. About the earliest that people would put that age in the time of the Old Testament here would be about age three, two to three, somewhere in there. The other thing is Sarah is still alive because we're going to get to Sarah's death in the next chapter. And Sarah lived 37 years after Isaac was born. Now that's a pretty broad range, somewhere between 3 and 37. Uh, the Jewish traditions are all over the place. Some have this being a five or six year old kid. Some have him in his 30s. The most common tradition is about age 25, which is older than I thought, my, my mind's image. But just because that's the most common one doesn't make it right. We really don't know at what age this is occurring. Now, if we look back at the end of 21, and Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. Many days was usually a fair, you know, it was more than just a week or two. But how many years was it? Well, we, just, we just don't know. And so here is Abraham and Isaac headed off. And yes, I don't know how you interpret or read this, but when he says, and we will come back to you, you know, I mean, he knows what he's going to do. I mean, am I reading too much in there to say that? I don't think so. Um, and, and the next question, I think, is a, is a little bit um, hinting as well as to what is going through Abraham's mind, but one of the things that's clear is Abraham trusted that if he put Isaac to death, he would be raised from the dead. And I was, 
This is embarrassing, but I'll just say it out loud. I was getting ready to start the class this morning. I went, oh, wait a minute. There's a New Testament passage that talks about that. And I didn't look it up, so I don't even know where to turn to find it. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Thank you, Dave. If, we, if, you, if you want to, just go over there and glance at Hebrews 11. But, but Isaac, or I'm sorry, Abraham is not going up here um, anticipating coming home alone. I think that is a true statement. But I don't think there's enough information given here, even to Abraham, to know how he thinks that's really going to happen. Um, uh, oh, it is in the faith chapter. I didn't remember it being there. 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, and Isaac your descendant shall be called. And he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, which he also received him back as a type. Because, and I do want to emphasize, Isaac is a type here. of Type meaning an example, um, something that is like something else that helps us understand the other thing. And he's a type here of Christ. Um, and, and so we'll go on. So um, Abraham, according to Hebrews 11, had in his mind that this was not the end of Isaac. That's faith. And so Abram had that kind of faith. And so, Gary, I think to answer your question, I think we'll even get another hint here in the next verse. But Abraham had to have more questions than answers. See, this is where you get speculative a little bit. Um, what exactly was Abraham expecting? I don't know. It's clear that a part of it is the raising up of the dead from Hebrews 11. So uh, that would be one possibility, maybe the possibility he was counting on. When we get down to the next verse, it kind of comes up. Um, and that is verse 7. Isaac spoke to Abraham and said, My father... Meaning, look, there, it, it's, a, it's an emphatic way of saying it. Here I, here, and Abraham said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? So Isaac, at this point, <coughs> it looks like for the first time, <coughs> recognizes we don't, we don't have anything to put on the altar. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. And so th that's an interesting thing that Abraham says here. It could be taken a number of ways. Um, the most literal way to look at it is he's telling Isaac, well, God's going to provide a literal lamb when we get there. You could say in the back of your mind, it's not what he said out loud to Isaac, but God will provide for himself a lamb for the offering, and you're it. You are the lamb for the offering. Don't know exactly what Abraham was thinking, but there isn't any question by what's coming up in the verses ahead, he's not trying to figure a way out of this mess. He's trying to figure out, he's 
determined to take the actions, forget the figuring outwards. He's determined to take the actions that God directs him to do and wait for God to do what needs to be done. So, so we see that happening, but these are the only words spoken between Abraham and Isaac throughout this whole event that are recorded. Yeah, we, they may have talked all the way up and back. I don't think they were talking about the Tennessee football game. Uh, but they were talking about something probably. And they headed there. And, but, but in terms of what's recorded for us to understand their interaction, we just don't get any other clue as to what's going on between them. Now, uh, that's, this is why it's hard not to speculate. If you put yourself in Abraham's shoes or Isaac's shoes, particularly in Abraham's shoes, if you, if you anticipate that we're going to get up there and I'm going to offer you as a sacrifice, as a burnt offering, I might not know what to say, so I might get quiet, but I would want to say a lot of right things here, wouldn't you? I mean, wouldn't this be an important moment? Prepare the son for what's about to happen as well as give him confidence, let him know I've got faith in what God, God is going to do here. And in a sense, he's expressed that. God will provide this, the lamb for himself. I just, I have heard so many sermons in my life about the interaction between Isaac and Abraham. And it's all speculation, or at least the bulk of it. Yeah, we've got Hebrews 11, and we ought not discount that. But they're just, it, it, this is a very um, lightly described, I don't mean lightly like it's not important, but I mean the, the quantity of details is not large. And so here they are, they're headed on up, and they're on walking to the mountain. In verse 9, they came to the place of which God had told him. Now, back in the beginning, God said, well, I'll tell you where to go. We never get that communication to us about God, how God pointed out which hill to go to. Uh, but anyway, they get to the place which God had told them, and Abraham built the altar and there, an altar there and arranged the wood. And you can just imagine the actions that are going through here. Arranged the wood bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And no conversation is recorded. Um, I, it, that's just phenomenal to me. But at the same time, what is this about? This account is about God testing Abraham. And we see the emphasis here is on Abraham's actions in response to the test God gave him. And there's a certain amount of elegance to the simplicity here. God said, take him up to a place I'm going to show you and offer him up as a burnt offering. Abraham promptly, the next morning, gets up early, makes the preparations. He and Isaac head out. They keep going. When they see the hill to go to, they keep on going. We see the one question asked, and we see Abraham's response. But other than that, it's just... He's just marching forward methodically, getting to passing the test. It keeps the emphasis on what it is. It's Abraham is showing by his actions his faith in God. 
And it goes, you know the story as well as I do, it goes a long ways. In verse 10, Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. We're there. We are very small units of time. I don't know if it's a second or a two seconds or a tenth of a second, but we are very close to the slaying of Isaac. But the Lord, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. The message that follow is clear. Do not stretch out your hand against the lad. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But let's go back to the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. As we work our way down through this passage, the identity of the voice from heaven, I think, clearly becomes that this is the messenger of the Lord. This is God himself acting as his messenger from heaven. What does it mean called out to him from heaven? If you heard a voice from heaven today, first of all, we'd have to talk a while before I'm going to be convinced you really heard a voice from heaven today. <laughs> but if you heard a voice from heaven today, how would you describe where it came from? Okay, thunder from the clouds. I mean, this from heaven is an interesting phrase to me. Um, I've heard it before. You, it comes up. Oh, but when I was reading for this, I went, now that's interesting. From heaven. A voice from above, a voice, an unembodied voice. But you wouldn't say, well, it came out of that room, would you? I mean, you would clearly know this is... This is something supernatural. Here's an interesting question. Did he hear it with his ears or just hear it in his head? And I think the answer is, has to be, heard it with his ears. And I'll tell you why I think that. We all hear things in our head that's wrong, right? This was unmistakable. And it's clear that he spoke out loud. Here I am. And so um, the message is clear. Do not stretch out your hand against the lead, and do nothing to him, for now he says, I know that you fear God. Now, an angel could say that, right? An angel could say, I, I'm, I'm here as God's messenger. I know you fear God, so following God's direction, stop. But the next part of the sentence is interesting. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. That's first person God speak. Okay? Now, it could be that it's clear the angel is speaking on behalf of God, and this is what God told me to say, but that's not what it says. And so I tend to think this is really God speaking. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so God, through this message, stops what's about to happen. And basically says, you passed the test. I know you won't withhold Isaac from me. Now there's a lot in this right here that um, may relate to some things in your life, may not clearly as relate. But what if, if Abraham had withheld Isaac, what would that have said about Abraham? 
what position would Isaac have had in his life? Superior to God, what do we call things that we make in our lives superior to God? Idols. Wouldn't it be hard with the messages that have come to Abraham to not have Isaac become so important in his life it might be an idol? So God wants to establish this race these people of these tribes with all these descendants through Abraham. But God doesn't want to do it based on Abraham's worship of Isaac. He wants to do it based on Abraham's worship of God. But yet, it's interesting because here is Isaac, the promise of God. And so here is this promised child that God is testing Abraham to say, I gave you what I promised. Have you let the results of the promise become so important that you're not going to follow me? And so God is pleased with Abraham. And he did pass the test. And was his love for Isaac small? I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure he cherished Isaac. God had removed the other son that he had cherished. He was left with Isaac. And so I'm sure it was a, a very strong affection and an hopeful anticipation of his future with Isaac as his son. But he passed the test. Abraham, in verse 13, raised his eyes and looked out, I'm sorry, my eyes just jumped off of it, raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. So this is interesting. When Jesus was on trial, the high priest said it is better for one man to die rather than have the many put to death. And that's a very poor quote, but the bottom, what he was trying to say was from a worldly perspective. We need to kill Jesus so that we don't have this Roman response and uprising and a lot of people die. So it was get rid of Jesus so we don't have a conflict with Rome over Jesus as a rising person of prominence and his followers with him in the land of Palestine. And the scriptures say this was a prophetic utterance, not about protecting the people from Palestine, but protecting those that would believe from an eternal fate in hell itself, undergoing the wrath of God. That the high priest, even though he didn't know it, was speaking as a prophet because he was high priest that year. This was a prophetic statement that Jesus would die the one for the many. What did, when, when we had the initial conflict with Abimelech, what did God call, how did he describe Abraham to Abimelech? He is a prophet. What did Abraham say as they were headed to the hill? God's going to provide the ram. And now, guess what? Not guess, look, God provided the ram. Abraham took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. 
And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. So it became, it became a, a proverbial kind of statement based on the name that Abraham gave it that these things are provided by the Lord. And by the way, I don't know that I'm saying this exactly right. And of course, Jehovah could be Yahweh, but um, the way it's typically brought a, across that name is Jehovah Ra'ah. That's the name of the Lord will provide. Um, and so the Lord does provide. This is kind of extra poignant in that we're in the city area, maybe even at Golgotha where Jesus was crucified. Many Christians want to put the Christian tradition for where did this occur is at Golgotha. Verse 15, we continue, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and of the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. Now is this a new promise? Have we heard this before? Well, most of it. We've heard the stars of heaven before, haven't we? We have heard the sand of the seashore before, haven't we? But this new piece is there. At least I don't recall it being mentioned before. But they will possess the gate of their enemies. So you're going to have a victorious people following in your descendants. And so um, the Lord has made his promises even more clear and brought them all together and added to that their dominion over the people around them. Questions, comments so far? That's right. God was not surprised that Abraham yeah. passed the test. So, so the whole, the whole reason that he had um, done this, uh, you know, had Moses write this out, had to give it to us, is to prove that the nation of Israel was well, I think we can go to three purposes real easily and maybe more. Purpose number one is the purpose of the actual event. And the actual event was not only when we are tested, um, God doesn't need to test us to know what we're going to do, right? So when you read like James, the testing of your faith produces endurance, and endurance can have its perfect complete result that you lack nothing. So there is a benefit to the person being tested, and I think that purpose is very clear here. Abraham is tested. He, he goes through this. Is Abra what happened to Abraham's faith as a result of this? It was adequate before, but it's got to be super strong now. God can be trusted. I, you know, when I do what God says, and I'm sure he's not going to think about it, but maybe I'm wrong. The event with Ishmael was what I tried to do. <laughs> That's not going to turn out near as well. But when I do it the way God tells me to, this works. 
And so he's, his faith is bolstered. The next thing is Moses recorded this, and it's going to be very useful and helpful and intentional on God's part for the Israelites because this is coming to them just before they're going into the promised land to be a victorious army is the, is the intent. And so there's a lot of lessons right here. One is do what God says. Don't take your human thoughts out and go, this won't work. It's not a good plan. I have a better plan. Any of those kinds of things are just foolishness. Plus, you're not only there as a promise that there's going to be many of you, but now added to the promises, you're, when you go to the gates of your enemies, you're going to possess those gates. But I think there's a third one here. And that third one is maybe the most important, looking ahead to the person of Christ in this story. This, this, this has got Christ all, all over it. And so typical of God and his prophecies, a lot of times they're fulfilled short-term, but not in their fullness. The long-term prophecy is fulfilled in its fullness. And that's where the real significant developments occur is in that ultimate fulfillment of the prophecy. And so as we, as we look at this, we didn't read the last statement yet. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. And what's that ultimate blessing? It's the person of Jesus Christ that would not be taken off the altar, but would actually be left on the altar, if, you want, if, if I can call the cross the sacrifice. He will be sacrificed in a way where God expends his wrath anger, judgment on Jesus in my place and your place if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Somehow Bridget's phone connected. Oh, cool. I, you know what I'm going to do? Hey, everybody, look, there's a distraction there. Can you help? Just, just ignore that for a while. Um, I would appreciate that. So he, here is what's going on with multiple fulfillments here, and I, we, we get to this statement where all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so let's finish this out. Then I've got another question for you. But somebody else had something, though. I'm, yeah, I, I did. Um, I was just curious, you know, you're talking about what age Isaac was. Uh-huh. And if he was 25, um, wouldn't he have to be willing to get on the altar to be sacrificed? And, 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 and I would say... My initial thought is yes, but honestly, I haven't met him, so maybe he was a scrawny 25-year-old, and Abraham was, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I, I mean, I think so, and that's the kinds of things that when you look at this, you, uh, it's almost impossible to not fill in some of those blanks. Well, you mentioned he was a type of Christ, and that was going yep. to go along with that. It would go right along with that, but I don't know if... You know, obviously not all the details are going to be the same as Christ. So I think so. I, I, my my in, intuition says you're right on target. But can I stand up speaking on behalf of what the scriptures say and say, oh, yeah, absolutely. I guess. It didn't say how long it took to bind him. You know, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's very possible, but his faith is never mentioned here. 
So, I mean, I think all those things are highly probable, but... When the angels are innocent, don't lay a hand on the bladder boy, depending on the version. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that that... I mean, that does probably indicate <coughs> something less than adult age, but I don't know for sure. Well, he carried he carried a stack of wood, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he wasn't he wasn't five, okay. Some people like to put it that early, but I, I think that's an impractical conclusion. That's all our logic, you know. And there's there's so much here that that is said. Um, and so let, let me get, let me do verse 19. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. And so that's kind of the end of this part of the story. And here's the question that I want to ask you to help me make a mental list of here. In what ways can we see a similarity between Isaac's sacrifice, if you want to call it that, or potential sacrifice, and the life and sacrifice of Jesus himself? Where, if, if he's a type, and he is, so what, what are the things that we see here that point us to Christ? Only son? Meek, obedient. Obedient, meek. Yeah, Jesus carried his cross, or at least a portion of it. History and tradition kind of vary on that, but he was carrying the cross, whatever that might have meant in the New Testament time. And here Isaac is carrying the wood that he's to be burnt upon. What else? Back in that Hebrews 11 passage, what did Abraham believe in? The resurrection. When Jesus went to the cross, he knew he was going to be resurrected. As a matter of fact, his resurrection was the sign that he promised to the people. Three days and three nights. <laughs> the sign of Jonah. You know, destroy this building, meaning himself. Temple's the word he used. And in three days, I'll build it back up. Now, of course, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. He was the resurrection of life. And so he was coming out of his own ability to see himself resurrected. So, I mean, there's a lot of differences. But there are certainly some similarities. And a big piece of it is the hope of the resurrection. That was central to Christ's message. And that was central to Abraham's faith right here with Isaac. And so that's what we can see. What else do you want to add to about that? Anything? Okay, well, we're going to set the stage, not for the next chapter, because the next chapter uh, is, the, is Sarah's uh, death and more of Abraham's life. But this actually sets the stage for chapter 24. So let's take a look at it and, and get these things down for then. So now it came about in verse 20, after these things, it was told to Abraham. Now, who told him? I don't know. Was it another voice from heaven or was it the gossip column writer that put it in the paper? I have no idea. But Abraham heard this. Behold, and that word behold kind of makes me think it is from God that he heard this. 
Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. So how many brothers did Abraham have? Two. And one of them was Nahor. Who was the other one? What's that? He died. He died. <laughs> and Lot was his son, right? Haran. Okay. So he had two brothers. This is the one that still lives where? Ur. Nahor didn't go. Lot went with Abraham, but Nahor stayed in Ur. Ur. And so he's born children to your brother Nahor. Uz, his firstborn, and Buzz, his brother. Can you imagine the comic strip that you could make out of that? <laughs> anyway, I'm not trying to make fun of them too much, but I just, every time I read that, I go, Uz and Buzz. My goodness. Anyway, um, Kemuel, the father of Aram, and Chesed, and Hazo, and Pildash, and Jilaf, and Bethuel. Now, those, when I had to read that several times before I got it right. And it took the next verse to do it. Because I'm thinking that there were three sons and then they had descendants. But no, these eight are all descendants of uh, Nahor. Uz, Buzz, Camel, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. So those are the eight descendants of Nahor. And Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. We know where we're going with Rebecca, right? Rebecca is going to become Isaac's wife. And how do I know that they're all brothers? These eight Milka bore to Nahor. Now, if I had just not spent so much time trying to figure out the previous sentence and gone down and read the next one, I'd have had it. But anyhow, I got that way. And he was Abraham's brother. And I don't know, I mean, I do know why they added this in one sense. Because you see this all over the Old Testament. They tell the whole story. Every piece of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, and whatever. I don't know how it affects us a whole lot, but he had a concubine named Remu, Remah, who also bore Teba, Gaham, Tehash, and I don't know how to say that, Maka. Anyway, um, I don't know the significance of the offspring of the concubine, but um, he, he did have that as well. So... You can imagine when Moses is writing this, this is all has some oral history for the people, probably. They probably have been talking this down through the years. They all know their children of Abraham. They all know about Isaac and Rebekah. And so he fills in some blanks for them about uh, where Rebekah came from and the heritage that she had. So... We now have the stage set for chapter 24. What other comments would you like to make about this morning? Frankly, I, I'm, I've run to the end of what I put together. Yes, ma'am. Up there near Jerusalem, you mean? So Beersheba is down in that area. No, no, Sarah, Sarah is with him down in the Negev area. Right. And oh, I, I don't know how he, I don't know how they.
put that back together. I've got to get in my head where Beersheba is again, so I don't misspeak here. I can't keep it all in my head. So, this map is not detailed enough, maybe. It's down close to the bottom of the Dead Sea. Yeah, and see, that's the area that they were in when they left to go. That's the general area that... Um, Basically, he went back to where he came from. He went back to where he came from. Yeah, that's why I wanted to look, make sure I had that in my head right before I said it because I was having a little trouble putting that together. But yeah, he, he apparently spent a fair amount of time down there in the southern part of what would become Israel, Gerar area, which was a river down there, they think. Some maps show that as a river. And so that's kind of an area that's um, where Abimelech was the king or ruler. And so he was down in that area. And, and um, last time we saw the treaties that were made, uh, treaties probably not the best word, the covenants that were made between Abraham and Abimelech that led to their being free to settle in that area and even encouraged to do so by Abimelech. Good question. Any other questions? Comments? All right. Well, let me pray and we'll, we'll move on. Father, thank you for the chance to be here today and to take a look at uh, this test of Abraham that showed him to be faithful, extremely faithful. Now, Lord, there's times that I stop and think about what we might be asked to face, what I might be asked to face, yet in this life, as if things become more hostile and more difficult, and realize that around the world, many people are facing great hostilities because of their faith in Christ. Now, Lord, may we be found faithful when we are tested. Uh, Lord, remind us moment by moment, day by day, that as we trust in you, from that we get great strength. Lord, we see that Abraham's strength came from his belief that you would do what is necessary for him to continue with Isaac as the heir of the promise, including resurrect him from the dead. Lord, the scriptures tell us to fear not those who might kill the body, but instead fear you who controls and could put us to death spiritually. Uh, Lord, we long to be past the times of conflict and resting in your kingdom. Lord, we trust you to take us there. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.